and you can be seated. As you, as you uh, take your seat, I want to encourage you um, just for a minute. We stay in this attitude of prayer, attitude of worship, and I want you to maybe close your eyes and begin to let God um, sort of take your imagination. And I was thinking about this, thinking about this scene we see in the book of Revelation where the angels are worshiping around the throne. And um, we know that the Bible tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And in this heavenly worship uh, time where uh, the angels are worshiping and, and the elders are worshiping and, and it's this incredible scene. And we sang songs together, but I want us to take just a minute and I wanna encourage you, you begin to get this picture of Christ in your mind, in your heart, and you take a second and you begin to thank him and worship him with your own, um, not so much song, I don't expect you to begin to sing, but your own words, and just begin to thank him. You may do it out loud, you might do it to yourself, but let's just take a minute and begin to thank him and, and begin to worship him with our own thoughts for what he's done in our own lives, our own testimony of who he is and his goodness. When we come together, we should celebrate the goodness of God, the goodness of Christ. Let's, let's begin to do that in our hearts right now. Father, we thank you for how you have worked in each of our lives. Even for those, Lord, who may not claim to have a relationship with you here or watching online, whatever that may be, God, you've still shown grace in their lives. Even when we've wandered from you, Lord, you've shown grace, love, compassion in our lives pull us back to you, to draw us back through your spirit, God. And we thank you, Lord, for that. I, I pray today that our eyes would be opened. God, to, to see your love in a greater way, as your word says, Lord, that as Paul prayed, that we would be able to grasp a little more how deep and high and wide and long is the love of God. And that God, as we see your love for us, it would increase our love, our devotion to you, Lord. That God, we wouldn't hold anything back from you, but all of our lives would be yours, God, just as you've called us to be. And so, God, we give you thanks. We, we praise you this morning. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. Give us ears to hear this morning what the Spirit is saying to the church through your word, Lord. And shape us to be what you desire us to be, God. Not, not that your church would be a work of our imagination or our logic or our hands, but that the church would be exactly 
who you've designed us to be, who you've created us to be, Lord. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you, God. We thank you. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys who are here. And I know we got folks that are also watching online. It's, it's good to actually be in, in, in front of people a little bit here. Um, all 25 of you, it's good to see you. And, um, but, but it is, it's good to be with you and, and, and not just looking into a camera uh, all the time, but being able to actually see some faces so I can tell if you're sleeping here. I can't tell at home, so at least I know. Um, but I'm glad, glad to be here with you and, and just thankful, excited for what God's doing. Um, just, just really thankful today for who God is um, and what he's done. And so uh, today the message is going to come out of the book of Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to start. And so if you want to go there, Acts chapter 2, we're still talking about this opportunity that's come out of uh, this virus stuff that's going on and and really looking at God's design for the church as we've been talking about the last few weeks and trying to boldly discover and recapture this. Today, I wanna really look at what I believe is one of the greatest hindrances, uh, the greatest hindrance to us being the church that God designed. Um, and so I wanna talk to you guys about that and um, really pray that the, the Lord will open our eyes in some ways and increase our love, our devotion to him um, and each other through this. And so Acts chapter two, we're gonna read verses 42 through 47. Um, as we do this, this is one of the most common passages that people look at when they talk about the church. And it really is a model for the church. It shows us uh, what the early church was like, the things that they were doing. Um, as we read this, this is right after the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came and filled the believers. It's the beginning of the Spirit-filled um, church of God, empowered to go and do the work of God in the world. And so as we look at this, this is coming off of the heels of the Holy Spirit having come, filled these believers and, and the things that God begins to do through them. And really the mission of Jesus that he began now being carried out through spirit-filled um, lovers and followers of Christ as they continue his mission. And so let's read this and get a little picture, kind of like taking a little picture uh, and looking into what the church was like um, in its very, very early days. And so Acts chapter 2, 42 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so we get this, this picture, this look into the church uh, as it first begins, when the Holy Spirit had first filled these believers and God is moving in these amazing ways and doing incredible things. And, and Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is very meticulous in how he wrote. He was um, 
very accurate. He, he wrote so, ac- so accurately that people today, archaeologists, will use the book of Acts to locate um, cities and things that have yet to been discovered but are mentioned. They'll use a lot of uh, times what Luke wrote. He was very meticulous in, in what he wrote, um, very much uh, paid attention to details. And so he's writing this to describe what was happening in the early church. Now, I really want us to focus in on verse 42. Um, and, and one of the things about this passage of scripture is there have been millions of messages preached on this passage. Okay. So two dangers in that is one is you're kind of like, well, it's been preached on so much. Why preach on it again? Well, it's important. That's probably why it's been preached on so much, right? And the messages have come from it. The second thing in danger is that we've heard it so much, we just kind of come to it with the same lens we've always looked at it. I would encourage you um, that today we, we really ask God, open our eyes to see this with, with fresh eyes, to maybe have some um, things we've known to be reinforced and maybe have some things that God wants to reveal to us today that, that our eyes would be open to those things. But the very beginning, Luke, as meticulous as he is in his writing, he said this, and I don't think it was by accident that he began the sentence with, they devoted themselves. As he's describing them, the thing that they noticed was these people were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So so they were devoted to some things. They were devoted, one, to the apostles' teaching, which is what we're able to hold in our hands today. Now, they were teaching. The only real scripture they had at that time was the Old Testament, but they're teaching out of the Old Testament. They're they're literally um, beginning to uh, teach and write what we hold in our hands today um, in the New Testament. And so they're teaching, and so they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Today we have the apostles' teaching that we can read. Um, when uh, it says that they were devoted to fellowship, it's not just kind of like hanging out. It was a, a deeper, richer fellowship. Um, it was a, a fellowship in which they celebrated together what they shared in common. In other words, that they shared God, Christ, that they were brothers and sisters um, in fellowship with each other and with God. But they also were in this fellowship where they shared with others what some had shared with those who did not have. And so there was this deeper, richer fellowship than oftentimes what we think about in the church. Um, It talks about the breaking of bread. This would be... um, Part of it would be communion, but in those days, it was more where there would be a a common meal where they would come together, they would share a meal, and then they would also share in communion together, doing what Jesus said and remembering him through um, the bread and the wine and um, celebrating what he did for us in that way. Um, And then prayer. So they were devoted to praying, um, not just individually, but together. They were giving themselves to praying. And so there was this great devotion in this. And so we look at this and many times, and and we've done this too, where we come to these passages and we look at them and we go, okay, so what should the church be doing? What are the parts that make up the church? If we want to look like the church that God designed us to look like, what are the parts of the church that we should have? And so we come to it and we say, well, we need the Bible. We need to have the word of God. We say we need to have fellowship in some way. We need to be fellowshipping. We come to it, we say we need to be breaking bread. We need to celebrate communion. We, need, we come together and we say, well, we need to be praying. And so somehow we'll kind of take many times all of those parts and, and bring them together. We kind of put them together. And, and 
Sometimes mistakenly, we think that that is really God's design for the church. If we have these things and all these parts are there, then certainly this is pleasing to God. And the thing I would challenge in that today is there are times when you can have all the right parts, but if they're not put in the right place or they're not in the right order or they're not used in the right way, it doesn't mean it's the design that it was intended to have. You can have all the right parts in the wrong place and, and it, it doesn't do what it was created for. Perfect example, um, I brought this hammer with me today, right? Are all the parts there? Not a trick question, yes. It's a very simple tool. All the parts are there, right? You got the head of the hammer, you got a handle. But is it the way it was designed to be? No. Would it be effective? How'd you like to build a house with this thing, right? It's held on with a zip tie. Gonna be tough to build your house with this, right? But all the parts are there. All the parts are there. And sometimes we look at the church and we think, well, we've got all the parts. And so God must be pleased. But I would push back on that and say, no, that's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily true, especially if we're kind of just going through the motions of those parts. I believe God has something deeper and richer that he wants for his church. I believe there's a design and an order that God intends. And you need to realize when you read scripture, starting with Genesis and creation, how important um, God's created order, how important God's design is. It's in his design, in his created order that, that we really see his, he is glorified. And it's the same way in the church that he designed the church to be a specific way. These things are not just by accident. These are things that the church should be about, but it should be in a way that God intended. And so we look at these four parts right here and we can take those away. But what about all the things that are in scripture that, that many times we just kind of look over? So many directions, so many instructions about worship and, and, and how um, God created the church. And we've talked about a lot of that, about that it should be a, a, a body of believers, a priesthood of all believers where every part of the body is doing its work. And yet somehow the design of the church has become what we see today, where the bulk of what the church would be seen as doing is done by a handful of people. And, and here's the thing is, where did we get that from? This week I was having some questions go through my mind. I was just, just thinking and praying, reading scripture. And I'm like, who told you that you can't read and understand scripture? Who told you that? Who made you believe that? Because this is what I know. If we did a check on IQs, I guarantee you I'm in the lower third. In fact, the Bible tells us that God uses the dumb things of the world to confound the wise. So every time somebody says, that's a good message, preacher, you're going, you are dumb. Who told you you can't read and understand the Bible? Who told you that you can't lead somebody to Christ? Who told you that, that, that you, um, you aren't able to uh, uh, do anything significant for God? Who told you that you're dependent upon a preacher? Who told you all of these things that are so not true? It certainly wasn't God. It's certainly not in his word. It had to be the enemy. That somehow we believe these things. And see, here's the thing, guys. 
We've created, and this church is is not just the the church in so many ways has fallen into this trap of being um, a creation of our design, not according to God's. And yet we are the body of Christ intended to be the tangible representation of God, of Jesus on the earth. But if we are not functioning according to his design, what kind of picture are we giving the world? I mean, think about this. If this is the church and, and, and we've kind of created it according to our own design, then look, 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 can we even call this a hammer? Can what we know so much of today that we've labeled as the church, can it really be called the church according to scripture? So many of the passages that we we know and have kind of become cliche and and many of us can quote is so crazy because we know them so much that they've kind of become sort of like, oh yeah, I'm past that, but we still don't do them. Like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says it sums up all of it. But do we do that as the church? Do we really love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do we love each other? Do we love ourselves? Have we received God's love? Are we the church that God designed us to be? Are we living out the, the, the way that God created us to live out this life? And, 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 are we, are we doing it in a way that is truly pleasing to God? Who told us that he's pleased with an hour and 15 minutes a week? Who told us that he's pleased with us just flippantly reading our Bible in the morning? God wants more for you than that. He longs for you to spend time with him, to be in his presence. But so much of what we know of church and not just even the the institutional church, but what we know of being a Christian, its design is not based on scripture. The design is based on the best thing we could come up with. So think about it this way. Say this hammer or a hammer, the ha- a, a right hammer, a good hammer, a proper hammer. Let's say that the people who produced that hammer was a family owned business and they're making these hammers. And then let's say that the father who started, owns, runs the business, knows the business, how, how the hammer should be made, designed the hammer, um, it's successful when it's made the way he has created it and designed it. And let's say he leaves his children with this business and he says, now I want you to make the hammer. Here's the designs. Here's how it's to be made. So you just make the hammer. And then he goes away. And while he's gone, his children say, you know what? That old man is an idiot. Let's make the hammer how we think it's best. So let's make it like this. Because I think it'll work better that way. Because obviously our dad is old. He's kind of archaic. I mean, 
You know, he uses words that people don't even use anymore. He doesn't do TikTok, Instagram, none of that, right? And so let's do it our own way. And then, and then they produce something like this. Now, let me ask you this. When the father comes back, is he going to be pleased with this? No. Is it better? No. Does it function? No. Is it frustrating? Yes. Is it a burden to use? Yes. But it's because they didn't follow their father's design. I believe the church today is so much like that in our logic, in our own wisdom, in our own understanding, we've looked at this book and we've gone, you know what? People never, ever, ever believe that. You know what? There is no way that that can work in our day. There's no way. There's no, if we do it that simple, no way, never work. So this is what we need to do. We, we, we really, we really, really, we've got to have a very, very good children's program because if we don't have a children's program, the parents, they're not coming back. And we got to have that most happening youth group in the town because if we can get the teenagers, we might get their parents. And boy, I mean, we, we need to be better than the ones down the road. And, and we got to have really good music and, and we need to do it in a way that is different so that people might think we're different, right? It's not the old stuff because, you know, the old stuff, it doesn't work anymore. And so then we need to get a really good preacher. I mean, he's got to be dynamic, charismatic, funny. You know, he needs to challenge us, but not too much. And he really needs to be good. And he needs to be able to hold our attention for 45 minutes. We'd prefer 30, but he's probably going to go 45. And so if we can get all of those ingredients, if we can get all those parts, then we can have a really good church. And then we really need to have really good small groups because man, you know, we need to build unity and, and people need to, need to have roots and they need to dig deep and, and, and they need to grow close together. Maybe if we put random people who don't know each other in a group of 12, they'll all stick together, fall in love and then be best friends forever. That's how the church functions today. And I would tell you that that is much more a creation of our understanding and our logic than it is the word of God. Let me tell you this. You know who, according to God's design, is supposed to be discipling the children? Y'all know the answer. Y'all just don't want to say it. The parents. The parents. You know who's supposed to have the greatest youth group in town? Your house. You know who's supposed to be the one that services are designed for? Not you and me. Him. But our design, God's design, has been hijacked by man's wisdom and logic and preference. One of the biggest reasons I think this happens is because of this one word. I mean, Luke uses it twice in this passage. And that word is devoted. 
They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. See, when the father came back and found this hammer that had been made and bunches of them, bunches of them, bunches of them. Now they all got different labels and call themselves something different and identify with things all other than what the father intended. And, and so they got bunches of these hammers. Could we say that those children were devoted to the father and his design? Could we say that they were faithful? Could we say that those children um, were loving towards the father, that they honored him? I would say the answer is no. And, and so I don't think the parts of the church are what we lack. I think it's the design of the parts and how they fit together and our devotion, and this is the big one, our devotion to the parts. And, and more than just devotion to the parts, it's devotion to the Father. It's devotion to the Father because of his love for us. And now because he loved us, we love him. And that love overflows into our lives so that even though we may not like each other, sometimes we still love each other. And there's this powerful working of God when we begin to come into alignment with his word and with his design and with his plan that begins to overflow in our lives. And it begins to work in ways that we can never understand. But we don't, we don't, line to that and then we wonder like, well, is this all there is? We need to come to this place of recognizing that our devotion, our devotion to the Father and, and, and not devotion to our own understanding or, or what we've been told God is about or what we've been told the church is about or what it should be, but we begin to look at scripture and we begin to align with scripture and we come to this place where um, a greater devotion to God and his purposes begin to happen. See, the issue for us, and, and listen, listen, the, the issue for us is not that we don't have the apostles' teaching, right? We have more access probably than anybody else in the world to the apostles' teaching. The issue for us is not that we don't have the ability or opportunity for fellowship deep, meaningful fellowship. The issue is not that we don't have the ability to share a meal together and take communion together. It's not the issue. And by the way, you don't have to wait on it to be scheduled by the church to do that. Who told you that? It wasn't God. It, it isn't that we don't have the ability to pray. Who told you you can't pray? Where did you believe that lie? When did you think, start thinking that you had to pray a certain way instead of just talking to God and listening to God and being in God's presence? See, it's not that we don't have the apostles teaching. It's not that we don't have opportunity to fellowship. It's not that we can't get together and share meals and deep relational rich fellowship. It's not that we can't um, pray and come together and pray and pray by ourselves, pray together. It's not that we can't do those things. See, the issue is not an issue of what we have. It's an issue of what we want. It's not an issue of what we have. It's an issue of what we want. And I pursue what I really want. It's not uh, that we even lack devotion. We got plenty of devotion. 
It's not that we lack devotion, it's the objects that we're devoted to that's the issue. And so we, we want it to be as easy as we can possibly make it. I don't want, you know, I don't want Jesus and my faith to infringe on, on what is comfortable. And, and you know, I mean, I'm busy already. I, I don't need a whole lot of stuff put on the plate, preacher. Just, you know, I, I just want to come in and come out and let's just do that. And da, 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 da. And, I don't, and so it's, 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 it's because other things have our devotion. We're devoted to other things. We're not devoted to God. We're not devoted to him in such a way that as John 14, 15 says that Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He doesn't say obey my commandments and I'll love you. He said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. But what does that say about his church today? I would tell you this, and this is a tough saying, but Jesus had a lot of them. As I looked through scripture this week, this, I kept seeing this over and over and over again. And I want you to listen to this statement, that Jesus is patient with our growth, but not our devotion. Jesus is patient with our growth, but not our devotion. Well, where do you get that? The whole Bible. Many times it say he's a jealous God. He wants all of our heart. Why would the first commandment be love the Lord your God with all your heart? Every time Jesus called someone, it, 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 this, is, this is never the way it went down whenever Jesus called someone to follow him. He never went up and said, hey, uh, Peter and Andrew, you know, I've been thinking, I like you guys. You want to come follow me? Look, 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 no pressure, no pressure. Sleep on in a couple of nights, talk to your wives. Seems like a good time, then come on. If not, I'll, I'll circle back around. It'll be fine, but, but just, just sleep on. Never went like that, did it? Never, ever. I was reading through the gospel of Mark last night. And one of the things I see in Mark consistently is Mark used, and maybe it's why it's the shortest gospel is because he was trying to get something done in a hurry. And so Mark is like all the time using the word immediately, 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 you know, immediately this, immediately that, immediately the demon left, immediately they were well, immediately. And it was true also of when Jesus called the disciples, it said that they would immediately follow. There was no like, no, immediately they went. It was a devotion. And so much so, we, we know this. Many of you know this. You've been in church. And so we know that when um, James and John were fishing with their father, they're literally in the boat. They're there. They're, they're like cleaning up nets and doing all this stuff with some of the hired men. And then they're there. And Jesus walks by and he goes, hey, y'all come follow me. We know it's not the first time Jesus had, uh, or they had seen Jesus. But the thing that we do know is when he initiated the, the invitation, they didn't just sit there and go, hey, uh, Jesus, uh, give us a minute and let us finish up helping our father. We need to talk it over with him because, I mean, yeah, we do help him a lot. No, no, he left. They left. They got up and left. They followed. Immediately, they left him. They went. It was a devotion. But, but we don't do that. Why do we not do that? Why do we not 
Why do we not make that same? You remember we did the foundation, the first foundation crack we did that all y'all got tired of, that, that clear call, a clear call to follow? Why don't we make the clear call as the church? Why, why, do, why do we try to make it where it's almost like we're gonna tiptoe around the back door and tell you a little, a little, a little, a little, and we're gonna bam, push you through, right? Because if we tell you the whole truth, man, there ain't no way. Because certainly the Holy Spirit wouldn't open people's eyes and change their hearts to become followers of Jesus the way he used to, right? And so we kind of tiptoe around, why would we not tell them the whole truth? Why would we not, not make a clear call to say, look, this is it. If you want him, it's the greatest thing you'll ever do. But guess what? It's going to cost you everything. There is no gray area here. You're either in darkness or you're in light. Now, which one do you want to be in? But I can tell you this, that God is in the light. And if you want to be with the Father, then leave the darkness and through Christ come into the light and into fellowship with him. Aren't you glad that God didn't leave us in some kind of shadow land? See, in the darkness, it's just rebellion and outright just, you know, just heck with God, I'll just do it my way. Over here in the light, it's full devotion. I'm 100% in, I'm a follower of Jesus. Not perfect, not perfect. He's patient with our growth. He just wants our heart. But then here in the middle, in the shadow land, what we have is this place of um, compromise and rationalization. And so what we do here is somehow we compromise God's word, somehow we compromise um, what we're called to and who we're called to, and somehow we rationalize that it's okay. And so we didn't get called to this shadow land. We got called into the light. Thank God he loved us so much that he said, I'm not leaving you in the shadows. I love you so much. I'm not gonna take you part of the way out of the darkness and hope you can find yourself, find your way the rest of the way. I'm gonna take you as Colossians tells us when Paul wrote it, he said, he's transferred us from this kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son whom he loves, into this kingdom of light. So why don't we give that clear call. I would tell you, this is what I believe. I believe we're afraid people will leave. But also believe that the most loving thing that Jesus did was give a clear ultimatum. The most loving thing he could have done is say, look guys, this is the way to life. Okay, it's cost. It's not always comfortable. It's going to make you say no to some things you think are really good. But I'm telling you, it's the way to life. The most loving thing he could have done. So how unloving is it for us as the church to tiptoe around it and leave people in this gray shadow land? I think it's because we're afraid. We're afraid. They'll leave. They won't stay. We know better. We know better. But here's the question that came to mind when I was thinking about that this week. Why are we afraid of something that Jesus wasn't? Jesus wasn't afraid for people to leave. Now listen, I, I do believe this and there's tons of scripture that shows us this. 
I think it hurt Jesus when they left. Think about the rich young ruler when um, Jesus told him, go sell everything you have and, and give it to the poor. And he walked away downcast. But right before that, it said that Jesus looked at him and he loved him in Mark chapter 10. He looked at him and he loved him. It certainly wasn't pleasing or a vengeful thing for Jesus to be like, just go sell your stuff and come on. If you don't want to, then the heck with you. He loved him. Jesus in Matthew, uh, I believe, is it 23 maybe, where, where Jesus, he, he sees Jerusalem, he's thinking about Jerusalem, he's thinking about the people of Israel, the Jewish people, and he says, how I long to gather you to myself like a hen gathers her chicks. He's like, I long to gather you. I want, to, I want you to actually look at this one. Go to Luke chapter 19 because I don't think this was just something that Jesus was like, well, if they leave, they leave. I think it hurt him. Listen, this is right after, he, or as he's coming through the triumphal entry, going into Jerusalem, Holy Week, he's about to go to the cross. And it says this in verse 41, it says, as he approached and saw the city, meaning Jerusalem, he wept for it. And see, Jesus's concern wasn't the plot of ground. It wasn't the buildings that made up the city. Jerusalem was representative of the people of Israel. He saw the city and he wept. Why? Because they were rejecting him. He knew what he was going to do. He knew what was about to happen. And yet he wept. I don't think it was easy. But he let them go. And when we look at this, guys, why are we afraid to tell people the truth, to give a clear call, to know that I'm either all in or I'm out? There is no shadow land. To know these things. And why are we afraid? It's because we are afraid that people will leave. Why are we afraid of something that Jesus never feared? I would have to say it is not because we love them more than, than Jesus does. That is not the issue, that we love the people more than Jesus. It's because it's more about us than it is about him. And yet Jesus gives this clear ultimatum. You go to Mark, Matthew chapter eight, Jesus tells this guy who was one of his disciples who's, who's uh, I guess, wanting to, go back home. And the guy says, Jesus, first let me go bury my father and then I'll come and follow you. And Jesus is like, let the dead bury their own dead and you come and follow me. And we read that and we're like, man, it's kind of harsh, but he's not telling the guy, you can't go to your father's funeral. That's not what he's talking about. When he says this, what he's saying is this, this guy is asking him, he's saying, look, let me go and spend the rest of my father's days while he's alive with him. When he dies and he's buried, I'm gonna come and follow you. Basically what he's doing is he's saying, look, Jesus, I like you, but I don't really love you enough that I'm gonna follow. I'd rather be with my father until he dies and then I'll come follow you. And Jesus says, well, let the dead bury their own dead. And Jesus isn't saying let dead people bury dead people. That doesn't work. He's saying, let the spiritually dead take care of the spiritually dead and you come follow me and I'll show you the way to life. 
And so now think about this. Jesus, in these three years of ministry that he did, he is building the foundation. He's kind of starting to pull together the people who will be the church, the people who will be the ones to carry on his mission um, after he's gone. Who starts a church with that kind of message? Nobody today. (laughs) Nobody. Jesus, that's who. Because he knew, look, they can come with me, but if they're not all in, then then this is not going to work. If their hearts aren't for me, if their devotion is not for me, if they aren't devoted to me, then it's not going to work. Why did Jesus make such tough sayings, such difficult decisions? Why did he present us with those decisions? Why did he give us such tough and clear and, and black and white ultimatums. Why did he do that? Listen, I want you to hear this because this is vital to what we're talking about today. The reason he gives such a clear, uncompromising call is because his love is too great, his grace is too good, and his plan is too important to do something halfway. His love is too great to leave us over here, kind of just tagging along. He wants us with him. He wants to bring us to life. He tells us very clearly, if you love your life, you're gonna lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're gonna find it. He wants to call us into true life. Why is it so clear and, and so, so uncompromising? Because his grace is too good to leave us in some kind of halfway state. He's taken us all the way to the Father. He has shown us the Father so we can have relationship with the Father through the Son. Now we've entered into eternal life. Not when we take our last breath, but when we come to know the Father, we've entered into eternal life. His grace, not listen, not just his unconditional love, his grace being what he um, does for us, in us, and through us that we cannot do for ourselves. Jesus, through the grace of God, has saved us. He's he's brought us to the Father. He's done all of this through his grace. His grace is too good to leave us back here somewhere just kind of waving in the wind. And his plan is too important. A scripture I came across again the other day is Habakkuk 2.14. He was a a prophet in the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2.14 And in it, there's this statement that God makes through Habakkuk. And he says, um, the earth will be filled with the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. If you go look at other places in scripture, the Bible tells us that the earth is filled with the Lord's glory. What the Bible is not, or what the earth is not filled with is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That is God's plan that people would come to know, know him, that people would, would glorify him, that the knowledge of God would fill the earth, that the design of this thing is that through his love given to us in Christ, that we would be able to see him, we'd be able to understand more about him, 
We'd be able to recognize what he's like. We recognize that we're not like him. We recognize what he did for us in Jesus. And we recognize the forgiveness that he offers and love the love of God poured out into us through Christ and through the Holy Spirit begins to overflow in our life. It compels us to this mission of Jesus. It compels us to a devotion to his people. It compels us to a greater love of God. And we begin to line up with God's design. And if we would just do that, if we would quit settling for some kind of shallow um, uh, imposter version of what the church is designed to be, we would be amazed at the life that would come if we would fully embrace God and his plan and we quit listening to what we've always been told and we let scripture dictate our steps. I believe we would be blown away by the power of God that begins to move amongst his people. But we can't do things in our own way, in our own model, in our own design and just expect God to bless whatever we want to do. We can't build the hammer any way we want to and expect it to function the way it's designed to function. It just doesn't work that way. We've got to come to this place, church, where there's not some half-hearted devotion, but we are fully devoted. And, and here's the challenge, and try to wrap this up quickly. Here's the challenge in that, guys. The challenge in that is this. I can't just walk over here and take and turn the devotion knob up. There's not one of those knobs where I just go and I just turn it up. This thing will not stay on today. Well, where, where I can just go turn the devotion knob from five to 10. I can't do that. So where does a greater devotion, a greater longing for a richer relationship with God and each other to, 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 to line up with God's truth in his heart. Where, where does that come from? It comes from seeing the gospel. It comes from experiencing the love of God in Christ, the love of God through the Holy Spirit it comes from seeing it and experiencing it again and again and again and again. It's why we come to scripture, not so that we can do our Christian duty. It's so I can see again the goodness and love of God so that I, my, my love grows, my devotion grows. And see, here's the thing. If I'm seeing this over and over and I'm seeing this work of God in my life and the calling of the church and, and I see that Jesus weeps over my rebellion and my sin and that doesn't move my heart, then something's wrong. And so I come again and again to see this and, and I worship him. I mean, you, know, you, you don't have to be here to do this. My family was out of town or they're still out of town. They've been out of town this weekend. And so last night, um, I, I was just thinking about today and I was like, I just want to spend some time worshiping and praying. And, and so I started playing some music on my phone and I set it on the, the kitchen uh, table and, and I just started walking through the house singing and worshiping and praying and out loud. And there were times I just wanted to yell about something. And so I would, and it's just a good thing. Like our closest neighbors, like three quarters of a mile away because we don't have any blinds on the windows. And if they had looked in there, they would have been like, yep, he's crazy. Just like we thought he is but I don't care because listen, 
that neighbor has not and cannot do for me what Jesus has done. See, most churches, I told the nine o'clock service, this is the worst ending to a message, at least according to how it, how it should go. Most churches today, we spend the bulk of our time trying to convince Christians that they are not as bad as they think they are and therefore God is pleased. I'm gonna tell you today the exact opposite. You and I are way worse than we think we are. You and I, we are way worse than we think we are. And you're like, well, no, I beat myself up all the time. I beat myself up. That's because it's still about you. You're way worse than you think you are. I'm way worse than I think I am. And listen, that's the good news. Or at least a part of it. Because see, my devotion grows when my love for God grows. And if I don't realize how really wretched I am in comparison to God, and see, if you think, well, I'm not really that bad, you're looking at the wrong people. You need to look at God and quit looking at the people around you. But if I can realize that, you know what? I am so much worse than I give my credit, myself credit for. And then I began to reflect on scripture and I began to think about this, that Paul called the church saints. And yet if, if this crack in this plywood, you can't see it, but if this side of this crack is before Christ and I look at myself and I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and still today I look at my own sinful nature and I'm like, oh my gosh. Golly, wretched, sinful. Mm. And I see God and I'm like, oh, I fall so short. But then I look at scripture and by faith, I've become a part of Christ. I'm in Christ now. And I see what scripture says about me. And I began to ponder and think and meditate on scripture where it shows me how big this gap is between the real me and my flesh and now the real me in Christ and the amount of love it took to bridge that gap. And I realized that even when I was breaking God's heart in my rebellion and my just turning away from him, that he loved me so much, he bridged this gap. How can I not want to give that God that kind of devotion? But we lose sight. We lose sight. It's why we have to see it again and again and again. We have to experience his love again and again and again. We can't just have information in our head. We need to experience the presence of God. Sounds like the natives are getting restless. So I'm going to finish up with this. I said I was just going to read it at nine and then I ended up talking about it some. I'm just going to read it this time. Maybe. Joshua chapter 24. 
another popular passage. You probably have part of this on your wall somewhere on a piece of old board or something. Joshua 24, Joshua's been leading the Israelites, the Jewish nation for years, and he's coming to the end of his life. And in Joshua chapter 24, he's recounting Israel's history. And he's, he's recounting this history of how faithful God has been and what God has done for them and, and what he's done through them and how he's cared for them. And, and listen to this, and I wanna read this. We, we don't usually do really like a formal benediction. I'm gonna let this be the benediction for today. And I, and I wanna leave this with you. Beginning in verse 14, this is what it says. Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. This is my heart for you and for me. Get rid of the gods, listen, those other things that have your devotion. Get rid of the gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. Reject the American dream and come after me. But if it, I told you I, I can't read it without saying something about it. But, but if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today which will you worship. The gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. We will not worship baseball. We will not worship money. We will not worship our home. We will not worship hunting. We will not worship fishing. We won't worship what people think about us. We will worship the Lord. The people replied, we will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods for the Lord our God brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery and performed these great signs before our eyes. He also protected, so they're recounting this. They're like, yeah, we know what to say. He also protected us all along the way. We went and among all the peoples through whose lands we traveled through. The Lord drove out before us all peoples, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will worship the Lord because he is our God. And listen to what Joshua says. You'll not be able to worship the Lord because he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He's like, I know your game. He will not forgive your transgressions and sins. If you abandon the Lord and worship foreign gods, he'll turn against you, harm you, and completely destroy you after he has been good to you. No, the people answered Joshua, we will worship the Lord. And Joshua then told the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you yourselves have chosen to worship the Lord. We are witnesses, they said. Then get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. I wanna challenge us with that. Get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. These other things that claim our devotion, that claim our worship and turn our hearts to the Lord. When I read this passage that says, he will turn against you, harm you and completely destroy you. You know what's amazing about that? Every page of the Bible points us to Jesus. You know why we in Christ aren't gonna be turned against, harmed and completely destroyed? because Jesus was for us. So God, I pray that this would stay before us all the time, Lord. 
God, we would not let your word out of our sight, Lord, that we would not let your word escape our minds and our hearts, but we would see again and again the gospel, the good news, that we are worse than we think we are, but your love is greater and that we would love you more, that you would be the sole focus of our devotion that we would seek and strive to align ourselves with your design and your plan, Lord. That God, we would truly love you, not just give lip service to loving you, God, but we'd love you with our whole heart, that we'd be able to receive your love, and God, we would love others in the same way you've loved us, Lord. God, we, we, we can't proclaim like these Israelites that we will worship you and not turn from you, God. We know our hearts. So we need your spirit, God, in us to guide and lead. Write your decrees again and again on our hearts, Lord. Remind us, Lord. Remind us continually. We thank you. We love you. We praise you, God. We truly do. Not just to say that, God, but we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So y'all have a good week. Good change shirts, dry off, a little sweaty. So have a good week.